Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And I hope this day finds you well and in complete contentment. And if you happen to be a first-time listener to our show, I say welcome to our moments, moments about us. We are not here to curse the darkness that we were placed into aboard those slave ships. We are here to reach into that darkness and pull it to the light. And with that being said, let's slip into a little darkness. She was born Elnora Fagan on April 7, 1915, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She was one of the most influential jazz singers of all time. She had a thriving career for many years before she lost her battle with addiction. In 2000, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and considered one of the best jazz vocalists of all time. We know her as Billie Holiday. Holiday spent much of her childhood in Baltimore, Maryland. Her mother, Sadie, was only a teenager when she had her. Her father is widely believed to be Clarence Holiday, who eventually became a successful jazz musician, playing with the likes of Fletcher Henderson. Unfortunately for Holiday, her father was an infrequent visitor in her life growing up. For a few years, Holiday had somewhat of a stable home life when her mother, Sadie, married Philip Grew in 1920. But that marriage ended a few years later, leaving Holiday and Sadie to struggle along on their own again. Holiday started skipping school, and she and her mother went to court over Holiday's truancy. She was then sent to the House of Good Shepherd, a facility for troubled African-American girls, in January 1925. Only nine years old at the time, Holiday was one of the youngest girls there, but she was returned to her mother's care in August of that year, and she returned there in 1926 after she had been sexually assaulted. She had a difficult early life, but she found solace in music singing along to the records of Bessie Smith and Louis Armstrong. She followed her mother, who had moved to New York City in the late 1920s and worked in a house of prostitution in Harlem for a time. But around 1930, Holiday began singing in local clubs and renamed herself Billy after the film star Billy Dove. At the age of 18, Holiday was discovered by producer John Hammond, who hooked her up with the clarinet band leader, Benny Goodman. With Goodman, she sang vocals for many tracks 
including her first commercial release, Your Mother's Son-in-Law, and in 1934, top 10 hit Riffin' the Scotch. Known for her distinctive phrasing and expressive, sometimes melancholy voice, Holiday went on to record with jazz pianist Teddy Wilson and others in 1935. She made several singles, including What a Little Moonlight Can Do and Miss Brown to You. That same year, Holiday appeared with Duke Ellington in the film Symphony in Black. Around this time, Holiday met and befriended saxophonist Lester Young, who was part of Count Basie's orchestra on and off for years. He even lived with Holiday and her mother Sadie for a while. Young gave Holiday the nickname Lady Day in 1937, the same year she joined Basie's band. And she toured with Basie's orchestra in 1937. The following year, she worked with Artie Shaw and his orchestra. Holiday broke new ground with Shaw, becoming one of the first female African-American vocalists to work with a white orchestra. Promoters, however, objected to Holiday for her race and her unique vocal style, and she ended up leaving the orchestra out of frustration. And so she took out on her own. Holiday performed at New York's Cafe Society. She developed some of her trademark stage persona there, wearing gardenias in her hair and singing with her head tilted back. It was during this engagement Holiday also debuted two of her famous songs, God Bless the Child and Strange Fruit. Columbia, her record company at the time, was not interested in Strange Fruit, which was a powerful story about the lynchings of African Americans in the South. So she recorded the song with the Commodore label instead, and Strange Fruit was considered to be one of her signature ballads and the controversy that surrounded it. Some radio stations banned the record, just helping it to become a hit. Over the years, Holiday sang many songs of stormy relationships, including Taint Nobody's Business If I Do and My Man. These songs reflected her personal romances, which were often destructive and abusive. And in 1941, she married James Monroe. Already known to drink, Holiday picked up her new husband's habit of smoking opium. And of course, the marriage didn't last. They later divorced, but Holiday's problem with substance abuse continued. In 1939, after singing her song, Strange Fruit, Holiday received a warning from the Federal Bureau of Narcotics 
a government agency which lasted from 1930 to 1968. To never sing the song again, Holiday refused and kept singing the song. The FBN commissioner, Harry Anslinger, believed Holiday to be the symbol of everything that America had to be afraid of. Afraid of truth, my friends. She had a heroin addiction because she had been chronically raped as a child, and she was trying to deal with the grief and the pain of that. And also she was resisting white supremacy. And when she insisted on continuing on her right as an American citizen to sing Strange Feud, Anslinger resolved to destroy her. Anslinger was a widely known racist and made it his mission to take Holiday down for her drug and alcohol addiction and relentlessly pursued her all the way up until her death in 1959. That same year, Holiday had a hit with God Bless the Child. She later signed with Decca Records in 1944 and scored an R&B hit the next year with Lover Man. Her boyfriend at this time was trumpeter Joe Guy, and with him she started using heroin. After the death of her mother in October 1945, Holiday began drinking more heavily and escalated her drug use to ease her grief. But despite her personal problems, Holiday remained a major star in the jazz world and even in popular music as well. She appeared with her idol, Louis Armstrong, in the 1947 film, New Orleans, playing the role of a maid. But unfortunately, Holiday's drug use caused her great professional setback that same year. She was arrested and convicted for narcotic possession in 1947. Sentenced to one year and a day of jail time, Holiday went to a federal rehabilitation facility in Alderson, West Virginia. Released the following year, Holiday faced new challenges. Because of her conviction, she was unable to get the necessary license to play in cabaret and clubs. Holiday, however, could still perform at concert halls and had a sold-out show at the Carnegie Hall not long after her release. And you just know that Anslinger hated that. With some help from John Levy, a New York club owner, Holiday was later to get to play in New York's Club Ebony. Levy became her boyfriend and manager by the end of the 1940s, joining the ranks of the men who took advantage of Holiday. Also around this time, she was again arrested for narcotics, but was acquitted of the charges. While her hard living was taking a toll on her voice, Holiday continued to tour and record in the 1950s. She began recording 
for Norman Granz, the owner of several small jazz labels in 1952. Two years later, Holiday had a hugely successful tour of Europe. She also caught the public's attention by sharing her life story with the world in 1956. Her autobiography, Lady Sings the Blues, was written in collaboration with William Duffy. Some of the material in the book, however, must be taken with a grain of salt. Holiday was in rough shape when she worked with Duffy on the project, and she claimed to have never read the book after it was finished. Around this time, Holiday became involved with Louis McKay. The two were arrested for narcotics in 1956, and they married in Mexico the following year. Like many other men in her life, McKay used Holiday's name and money to advance himself. Despite all of the trouble she had been experiencing with her voice, she managed to give an impressive performance on the television broadcast The Sound of Jazz with Ben Webster, Lester Young, and Coleman Hawkins. After years of lackluster recordings and record sales, Holiday recorded Lady in Satin in 1958 with the Ray Ellis Orchestra for Columbia. The album's songs showcased her rougher-sounding voice, which still could convey great emotional intensity. Holiday gave her final performance in New York City on May the 25th, 1959. Not long after this event, Holiday was admitted to the hospital for heart and liver problems. She was so addicted to heroin that she was even arrested for possession while in the hospital. On July 17, 1959, Holiday died from alcohol and drug-related complications. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, friends, but of all the studying I have done on the life of Billie Holiday, I have read on several occasions that because she would not stop singing the song Strange Fruit, Anslinger directed the hospital staff and doctors not to feed or medicate her, and in three days, she was dead. More than 3,000 people turned out to say goodbye to Lady Day at her funeral held in St. Paul, the Apostle Roman Catholic Church on July 21, 1959, a who's who of the jazz world attended the solemn occasion, including Goodman, Gene Krupa, Tony Scott, Buddy Rogers, and John Hamilton. Considered one of the best jazz vocalists of all time, Holiday has been an influence on many other performers 
who have followed in her footsteps and stand on her shoulders. Her autobiography was made into the 1972 film Lady Sings the Blues, with famed singer Diana Ross playing the part of Holiday, which helped to renew interest in Holiday's recordings. In 2000, Holiday was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Ross handling the honors. Rest in peace, my sister. So there you have it, my friends. Another one of our legends gone by this society's atrocities. That music tells me that it is that time. But regardless, I am going to leave you with this. No matter how gentle the black, how light the skin, how gorgeous the face, how talented the soul, how pure the intentions, they will not protect us. No matter how innocent their life, how secure the birthright, titles will be stripped and babies tossed to wolves. Because of a fear of black skin, they will let a woman drown in their lies. They will let the darkness swallow her. She will reach out for help and not only turn their backs, but crush her fingers beneath their feet. With hopes, she will plummet off the cliff. The why is obvious. The why is consistent. The why is always the same, black. They want her suffering because blackness, because she was breathing while black, because her light outshines the white with her blackness. They will turn their backs because of blackness. And what else should we expect from the birthplace of white supremacy, the birthplace of slavery, the birthplace of patriarchy? the soul of colonialism, and what else should we expect from a lineage of resilience, of beauty, of strength, of everlasting hope? Her bounce back, her reboot, her survival. Catch this black girl magic. Catch this brilliance. Catch this happy. Catch this radiance that not even 1,200 years of hate can kill. Catch this liberation. Catch this revolution, this world woman, this global majority. Catch all of this unbreakable blackness. She doesn't need your titles. She has always been a queen. Until next time, my friends, it has been my honor.